The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you both. Good morning. Good morning, Scott. You know, we're at a sort of a weird time. You know, we're in the post-holiday uh, uh, era. I don't know if I want to call it blues. That's a little uh, that's a little negative. But certainly in <laughs> that period after the holidays, but before the bills kind of arrive or they're just starting to arrive, what should we be thinking about? Where should our headspace be starting the new year? Yeah, you know, again, always always never focus on the short term is always the way we look at it. And, and again, January, talking about short term, is probably one of the more it's it's known for more and more depressing months only because I guess maybe winter set in mm-hmm. the sun and the bills pop in over Christmas. So, so, you know what, um, from a financial standpoint, it's always best to look longer term. And again, even more so after a year like 2022, where we're, we're coming off a negative year in the markets, increases, rise, in, um, increase in interest rates, inflation rising. And so lots of kind of negative news last year. And it at all kind in, in, you know, people are opening their statements. Um, if they're not now, um, quite shortly, they will be. And they're yeah. going to say, Ooh, that wasn't a good year. And, uh, but again, it's, it's, it's coming back to always saying, okay, what is your lens? Is your lens a one year term? Did you invest for this money for the one year or did you invest it for the next 20 years or 30 years or for the next generation even? So it, it's, it's always t- thinking long term and, you know, it, it, it keeps you more solid. You know, yeah, you never want to have that person getting too excited when things do well in a, a year or or a short period of time. And you really don't want to see people get too down when they're when things are down. Is this a good time to see your financial planner get caught up, make a you know, perhaps find a new one or find one? Fantastic time, actually. Uh, you know, if, well, probably one of the best New Year's resolutions, and I know we talked about this last week, was get a financial planner. And such a few small number are actually um, getting advice from a planner. They're hearing it from maybe reading articles and so forth, or looking at predictions, which interesting enough is what I'll be talking about, but it's getting the actual goods. And there's so much misinformation out there. And again, I'm going to go over a a specific instance on tax-free savings accounts that could have cost this client a lot of money had they, you know, from their research followed what they thought was right. So yes, Great time to get a second opinion and work with a, a CFP, a certified financial planner, can make a, a huge difference in, in your net worth. All right, Mitch, I know you wanted to uh, start the year off talking about uh, disability benefits and and greatly uh, or greater explain what these are all about. Yeah, thanks for the, the intro there, guys. Uh, but yeah, I want to just go over a couple of programs here. The Registered Disability Savings Plan is one and you really want to make sure that your family members are cared for while you're alive and also after you're alive as well uh, you want to ensure throughout your life and beyond you do everything possible to ensure they're always taken care of and there are many things to think about now and in the future so to help put this in context here here's some t- statistics from a canadian survey that over 22 percent of canadians age 15 and over have a disability that's roughly six million people in canada and only 59% of those aged 25 to 64 have jobs compared to 80% of Canadians without disabilities. 
But the real eye-opening stat is that only 28% of those who qualify for an RDSP, which is a registered disability savings plan, have actually opened one, which I'm going to talk to about in more detail in a little bit here. But when a family member has a disability, there, there are many unique financial challenges that must be faced. You may worry about the future and how you go about your families to prepare for it. Some common questions that we get during meetings are, where do I begin to save for this? Will anything I do impact my family member's social assistance benefits? Are there tax benefits from government programs available? And if something happens to you, how will I ensure a family member is cared for? So as you know, every family has different uh, circumstances. Uh, every disability is also different too. So there's one program available is the Disability Tax Credit. The Disability Tax Credit is a non-refundable tax credit that helps people with disabilities or the supporting persons to reduce the amount of income tax they may have to pay. There are many factors for the amount that each person is going to get from the CRA. The maximum amount for 2022 was 8,800, and the figure for 2023 is now 9,500 roughly. So there was a nice little bump up from uh, 2022 to 2023 to try to keep up with inflation. So that's a nice benefit there. If the child is under 18 and qualifies for the disability tax credit, they may be eligible for the child disability tax credit, a supplement to the Canadian child benefit and children's special allowances payments. It helps low and modest income families who care for children under 18 with a severe and prolonged mental or physical impairment. So to apply, families must obtain a signed disability tax credit certification. So you have to get qualified for that and the child benefit application form for the child. So the current maximum for that is about $5,200 now. So who is eligible for this? Someone who has a physical or mental impairment that is severe and prolonged in vision, speaking, hearing, walking, feeding, dressing, mental functions, or just a sustaining, uh, just a living quality. The RDSP is another program. The Registered Disability Savings Plan is a long-term savings plan for a person with a disability uh, that provides assisted living through government grants and bonds, as well as a tax-deferred investment growth. So an RDSP can be set up for a beneficiary who is eligible for the disability tax credit. So you have to have the disability tax credit to qualify for the RDSP. Uh, you also have to be a resident of Canada with a social insurance number, and you have to be under the age of 60. Parents or guardians may open an RDSP for a minor. There's no annual contribution limit, but there's a lifetime limit of $200,000. You can put that in in one lump sum uh, if your circumstance allows to do so, or uh, you can chip away per year, per month, however you like. Uh, withdrawals are known as disability assistance payments. They must begin the year after the beneficiary reaches uh, 60. So that's the, the latest you can start tapping into your disability tax, um, your RDSP, to create an income. Uh, withdrawals, they do not impact the federal benefits. So withdrawing from your RDSP is not going to affect your disability tax credit. And since contributions are made with after-tax money, the contributions are non-taxable on withdrawal, but the grant, bond, and growth amount is taxable to the beneficiary. So that could typically be a low a low income circumstance, depending upon the disability, if they're able to work. So that's also a benefit there. That's not going to get taxed to the contribute to if your parents are contributing to that your whole life or someone else. So it's not going to get taxed back to the, the contributor. The Canadian Disability Savings Grant the, uh, is a matching grant provided by the government. Contributions can continue to be made up until the beneficiary turns 49 years old. 
So after you turn 49, you can no longer contribute and uh, you're not going to get that grant anymore. If a family income is 98,000 or less, a contribution of 1500 will result uh, in 3,500 of grant. Uh, so if you contribute $1,500, you're going to get $3,500, which is a great program right there. Yeah. Um, you know, Mitch, the, these, these programs, people really need to go and look at these. There, there are, it, it's a huge benefit for those people in that position who have children that would qualify for an RDSP. The grant is there, but it seems to be one of those best kept secrets almost. And, you know, we talk about it with elderly people trying to get the disability tax credit because, you know, they don't think they're that disabled yet they may qualify. And that's a savings on your tax return. Well, this is a totally different. This is a way to accumulate a lot of money tax free. Now, the one thing I do want to caution though, and I've come across this recently, is if you are a US citizen, you do not, this is not tax-free growth inside an RDSP. Um, there's also no tax-free growth in an RESP, Registered Education Savings Plan, or a tax-free savings account. So these registered products do not apply for tax-free deferral for US citizens that may live in Canada. They still will get this grant and everything else because they're Canadian residents, but you know, kind of buyer beware. If you're a US citizen, you, you have to look at the annual filings that you must make as a US citizen. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, that's not not a super common circumstance. So it's nice that you've come across that one right there. I'm coming across uh, more often where there's a lot of these kind of U.S. citizens. They may have been born in the U.S. and they just right. moved up here. And uh, to be honest, a lot of the times we weren't even aware they're U.S. citizens. And it's coming up in conversation now. And so because they've lived their whole life here, they may have only spent like the first week of their life in the U.S. And voila, you're a U.S. citizen. But yeah, Uncle Sam has long arms and they love to reach across the border to grab that extra tax, tax money. So you can also carry the unused grant forward. So there's no, uh, if you miss some contributions, you're not going to miss out on that grant. You can also carry that forward 10 years before the year you turn 49, as long as you meet the eligible requirements for those carry 40 years. Uh, for example, if you're eligible for a disability tax credit in 2011, and you open the RDSP in 2021, the grant and bond <clears throat> will be paid on unused entitlements up until the end, up on an annual maximum of 10,500 for the grant and 11,000 for the bond. So there is, they're pretty flexible with this and they really, it's just such an unknown product as you mentioned before. Um, now, what if a, a high income family and they wanna wait until their child's 19 to start, but they will put money into their own TFSA annually instead? So the parent's income will always be high and they only qualify for a grant at a lower rate, 100% of the first $1,000 of contributions. So a, a circumstance here is that someone as an income might be low as they're growing up, um, but once they uh, get older, then their income is going to go down. So the scenario one here is $1,000 a year to the parent's TFSA for 19 years, the year of birth for their child until she turns 18, and then they start $1,500 per year to the RDSP until the 70,000 grant limit is reached. And the situation two here is $1,000 a year to RDSP for 19 years, and then not getting as big of a grant, and then $1,500 a year to the RDSP until the 70,000 grant li limit reached, then TFSA from there. Scenario one, the child at age 60 will have $131,000 in the TFSA, and 238,400 in the RDSP, a total of $370,000 roughly. And the scenario two here, the child 
will have only $20,000 in, in TFSA, but will have 421,690 in RDSB, which is a total of 442,500. So even though they're putting in roughly the same amount, it's clear that the, there's huge benefits to putting in the RDSP as early as possible to get that compound growth of the bonds and grants because it, the TFSA is not going to provide that, even though you're not going to get as big of a grant uh, from that time frame. So those are the details for the grant there. Uh, I hope that lots of people start to take more advantage of this in the future because it's really an unknown product. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, we're into a new year. A lot of people making predictions, resolutions, all that sort of stuff, which generally means nothing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you're going to tell us why these predictions can be dangerous. Oh, resolutions mean something, Scott. The average person lasts until like the second week in February of keeping that resolution. That long? Yeah, actually, I was surprised <laughs> it lasted uh, six weeks. So uh, how are you making out with yours, Scott? Uh, I'm I'm calling them goals. I'm not calling them resolutions. Oh, there you so go. They're, oh, they're just they're kind of lifelong things, you know. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah, no, no that's good. I, I like goals. So the gyms are still pretty packed then for another month. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Then you can go. Then you can go back. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of interesting. I always like, you know, you certainly read a lot of predictions. In fact, this week I'm, I was reading some more and I think, you know what? It's great for them to predict. A year later, nobody remembers what they predicted anyway. So, you know, what I like to do is go back a year and see what they predicted for 2022. And if you were somebody says, wow, these are pretty, you know, valid um, contributors and, you know, they believable, put it that way. And you're going to say, I'm going to go after this. They, you know, they have a they have a good track record, perhaps. Well, let's go through a couple. And I I won't pick on anybody particular, but uh, Gordon Pape's been in the paper recently. And I thought, well, he just came out with some new predictions. And I won't go over what he talked about next year because I wanted to see what he talked about last year. And last year, he didn't have a lot. He had really two. And he, he suggested there would be a market decline. So, yes, check there. Um, but And he said, don't but buy good quality stocks. In fact, buy bank stocks. So I said, okay, well, let's just see how the bank stocks did. Well, first of all, the... Toronto stock market did about minus six, six and a half percent last year. The U.S. stock market did minus 20-ish, about 20 uh, percent last year, the S&P 500. Well, if you look at the U.S. stock market, the U.S. banks, Bank of America did minus 29 and Wells Fargo did minus 25. So there's just a couple. They did actually worse than the S&P 500, the bank stocks. They said, well, you know, that's the U.S. U.S. banks aren't probably as 
you know, as resilient as the Canadian banks. And we found that out back in uh, 2008, 2009 with the financial crisis. But let's go right with our own banks. And, you know, um, Royal Bank did minus 11. Uh, TD was minus 11. CIBC was minus 25. Uh, Nova Scotia was minus 23. These are Canadian banks. Now, these did not include dividends. So the dividends, after dividends, the Royal Bank probably did not too different than what the Toronto stock market did. They may even actually beat the Toronto stock market. Um, and possibly same with the TD. But on average, the bank's banking sector did worse than the Toronto stock market last year after dividends. So I wouldn't suggest he was correct there. Um, but again, uh, you know, anybody can throw predictions and, and guess. I'm just, I, I'm always concerned about, do people listen and react to these predictions? And that's what scares me as a financial planner, because if you just simply said, okay, you know what, I'm changing my portfolio. I'm going to go and do this now. You would have been in worse shape than if you maybe stuck to your plan last year. Um, the other part he said was buy bonds. Now he was right and said, let's make them short-term duration because he expected interest rates to rise. I don't think anybody suggested they would rise to the degree they did last year, including Gordon Pape. So he said, go with short duration, which would be less risky. And that was a good call if you're going to have, and, and keeping bonds in your portfolio. Nobody would say, I'm going to go right out of bonds because I think interest rates are going to go up a lot. So I would give him kudos on if you're going to have bonds, go in the shorter durations. And that was the right call there. Um, so then I went over to Forbes and Forbes had their top 10 holdings sorry, top 10 predictions. And I kind of got a laugh out of a few of these. Um, it's again, it's easy to go back and make and criticize the predictions. And they even said, it's very dangerous to make predictions. But one, number one, they said inflation decelerates in the first half of the year. Well, we know that wasn't the case. It went up all year long and they threw a ton of, they increased interest rates a lot, did all they could to stop, um, stop the inflation and it didn't help. So that was definitely not the case. They thought it would be more of a short term. It would, it would go up and then kind of settle in. And it, it, that didn't happen. Uh, number two, the stock market has a correction in the second quarter. And boy, did yeah, they got that right. But it actually had a correction in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter. Okay, it was a negative year all around. Uh, they did expect it to go very up, to have a negative quarter and then have a quick recovery and that was the Forbes prediction last year so that wasn't the case kind of interesting we had a, a a client saying well you know you guys should have forecasted this and I thought well our crystal ball we've always been one to say there's nobody that can predict the future and you could go through a whole lot of different financial uh, literature and I don't think anybody predicted it was going to be a negative year to the degree it was. And they, nobody expected inflation to go up the way it did. Um, number three was gold regains its shine. Well, they expected gold to go up over $2,000 an ounce. And it would out, start to be outperform a lot of the markets. In fact, they predicted Warren Buffett would start buying gold, which I don't believe he did. Um, as it turned out, gold held its own. It didn't really go down, didn't really go up. So had you had all your money in gold, you would have kind of broke even over the course of the year. Wouldn't have been a bad thing. A lot better than owning U.S. stocks. But it didn't exactly go up. And, I, and if it did, it did go over $2,000 an ounce, it didn't last. Uh, the U.S. stock market, number four, would underperform the rest of the world's stock markets. 
and quite interesting that they were pretty close on that one. Uh, Canada way outperformed the U.S. stock market last year. Um, but on the other hand, you know, the emerging markets did not. In fact, they expected most currencies to rise against the U.S. stock market. I'm sorry, against the U.S. currency. The exact opposite happened. The U.S. currency strengthened against every currency in the world. So that was way off. Um, and so, yeah, at the end of the day, we always talk about diversifying. And yes, to have money, not only U.S., but Canadian, Europe, emerging markets. If you're going to invest in the stock market, small companies, large companies, even private equity versus public equity, which is the public stock market versus private. So diversification is by far the safest way. And again, that prediction was kind, partly true, but only partly true because it did actually, um, the, the emerging markets actually underperformed it even more. Uh, energy prices continue to rise. And that one they actually nailed. They actually said the price of oil would exceed $100 a barrel, which it actually did. So they uh, did okay on this one. Um, and the sale of electric vehicles would boom as drivers seek to defray the rising um, gasoline bills. And that did actually happen. So this one here is pretty spot on. Now, they did settle in a bit near the end of the year and drop to about $80 a barrel. But uh, you can't give them false from that one. They said Congress finally legal, legalizes cannabis at the federal level. And actually, I don't even know if they did that or not. Maybe, Scott, you you know if they... Uh, they, Again, I, I, rem I remember it. them talking about it, but I don't, uh, you know, there's just been so much other crap going on down there. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's fallen <laughs> by the wayside. But no, I remember <laughs> them talking about it, but I never did hear where it went either way. Yeah, and I know the, the, the marijuana stocks did rise because of this rumor, but I don't really know if it ever actually passed yet. So maybe it's still in process. Um, number seven, those meme stocks. So all these Reddit followers were pumping up you know, AMC and GameStop, all these stocks were just going through the roof. Even BlackBerry had a good run one time because all these people were running up the stocks, basically buying small amount of shares a couple of years ago. And if you get a, you know, 100,000 people buying 10 shares of every stock, it, it bumped up the, um, the share price a lot. And the thing was, there was a lot of people selling short and they had to cover the position. So that made it, they had to end up buying more to get out of their position. So it was actually a, a double-edged sword in this case, and the stocks went through the roof. Well, they were correct. They expected these stocks to take a big fall. In fact, they expected them to fall more than 90%. Well, that didn't quite happen. AMC stock dropped about 68%. Uh, GameStop dropped about 44%. So you think, yeah, well, that's pretty terrible. Well, when you think out of the bigger picture, there's a lot of worse stocks than those. Like <laughs> Tesla stock dropped 65%. From, its, from the start to the finish of the year. Uh, Peloton stock dropped about 90%. <clears throat> there are so many stocks that went down. A lot of these higher risk stocks, what we call the, the pandemic stocks, they all took a huge hit, not just the meme stock. So that one there got watered down. I wouldn't say they were any worse than any of the other kind of meme stocks uh, or sorry, the, the uh, pandemic stocks. Now, this was interesting. Number eight was cryptocurrency and blockchain events, investments and applications continue to grow. They expected it would be a good year for the cryptocurrencies last year. They thought they'd gain traction. And that was the exact opposite happened. They did have uh, kind of an interesting prediction that the price of Bitcoin would decline by more than 
Well, that was true. Dropped by about 60 some odd percent. But sometime during the year, but it would also double again and it would end the year at over $50,000 US. Well, it actually ended the year at about 16,500. So again, for those people following the crypto markets or buying a lot of crypto, thinking that this was gonna be taken off again, um, it didn't happen in 2022. Now, who knows about 2023? It is extremely speculative. Um, they expected the Republicans to win control of the Senate in Congress, in the Congress. Well, they got the Congress, they didn't get the Senate. So they're 50-50 on that one. And they did get number 10 right. Number 10 was the food prices sur will surge in 2022. And this was a lot to do with high fertilizer prices. They had no idea that there was going to be a Russian invasion of Ukraine. And uh, nobody exactly saw that one coming. So they did this. Get, got, they did get this one right. Um, but there was more to it than simply the higher, the higher um, fertilizer costs. So at the end of the day, they might have got a quarter or 20% of these right. And usually not to any specific degree. And this is the whole idea. These are a lot of very well-read people trying to make these predictions. And it's difficult. And when, you're, when you are trying to invest your life savings, you should look at, okay, what, again, first of all, seek a financial planner that will guide you along the way. But I had a, I had a major birthday there uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, hit the big six zero back on January 3rd. And I thought, well, what would have happened had I had my dad to put in $1,000 into the S&P 500? I just thought it'd be, you know, it'd be easy. And you know what? Because they've done pretty good. And had that happened, that would have about $62,000 right now if there was $1,000 invested on my birthday. Now, I got to say, that's 62 times your investment. Okay, and then it's only $1,000. $62,000 doesn't sound like a lot. Now, let's say they in invested the dividends. If my dad reinvested the dividends, it would be worth 343000 just by investing $1,000. And the average return for that 60-year time frame was about 10% a year, reinvesting the dividends. So the reason I'm asking, saying, suggesting this is, is looking the long-term, not kind of going after what the greatest the prediction will be this year. Um, and, uh, and I know some naysayers say, well, what was that after inflation? Well, yeah, it's not as, it's not as much. The rate of return was 6.1% after inflation. Well, that's a heck of a lot better than putting money in the bank. Nobody made 6.1% of money buying a GIC after inflation. Even houses only averaged maybe a couple percent over inflation. So yes, the stock market average long-term, whether you go 50 years, 100 years, or 200 years, is usually about 6% above inflation. And so after a year like last year, I like to just kind of settle the investors down a little bit and say, okay, this was a kind of a bad year. It was a call it a negative 20% year. Well, out of 151 years, 9% of the stock market years are between negative 10 and negative 20. In fact, 31% of the years are negative. But those big giant ones, the minus 30 to 40, um, that, those have happened only five times in 151 years. One of those was 08, 09. Nothing ever worse than 40%. In fact, the market goes up about 69% of the time. It goes up. And the average return has been 8.4%, average one-year return. So the norm 
is not to have a decrease. It has, it happens, but you got to take the good with the bad. So when you take longer term and say, well, what about a five-year rate of return? Well, there's been 27 negative five-year spots. But when you look 20 years, and, and I got to say, well, you retire at 65. Well, I don't have 20 years. Well, actually, statistically, you do. Most 65-year-olds will live to 85. There's never been a negative 20-year period of time in the U.S. stock market. In fact, if you go to the Canadian market, there's never been a negative 10-year period of time. There has been a, a number of 10-year negative period of times. But again, coming back to diversification, this is why you put some money in, in Canada, U.S., and, and other countries, and also fixed income. Because the idea of diversification is you're not going to get, you're not going to make a killing, but you're not going to get killed. <laughs> okay. So the whole point is for 2023, maybe your New Year's resolution is to seek a second opinion and take a look at your overall portfolio. Take a look at your tax plan. Take a look at your estate plan. Take a look at your wills. Take a look at your cash flow and create a, a good financial plan. And that way you don't have to worry about what the 2023 prediction is going to be this year. <laughs> we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We are coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, Mitch, a new year, uh, resolutions, goals aside. There's also some new benefits here, some tax benefits we should be looking at. Yeah, all three levels of the government have introduced new tax benefits and changes to 2023. I know it may seem too early to, for many to think about taxes right now. That it's only a few days into January at this point. But taxes are something that should always be considered and discussed in pretty much every meeting uh, with your financial planner. It's best to know all the benefits now to ensure you receive optimal, optimal results in your tax planning portion of your financial plan, which in my opinion, could be it's definitely either one or two of most, most important part of your financial plan. Uh, I've discussed this new program before, but I, I now officially have a date from the government to announce that starting April 1st, 2023, the tax-free home savings account uh, becomes available. This acronym is going to be called the FHSA. I can't wait for everyone to get that one Quick, wrong. What was that again, Mitch? Say that quickly. Hey, do we F have to beep this out? Yeah, FHSA. I, I still get so many people saying the uh, TSFA. So yes. the, the word jumbles will continue. Here's a new one. The FHSA, first home, the tax-free tax -free home savings account is what it is. So this okay. program gives another avenue to help save for a down payment on a first home purchase, which are a little different than the TFSA and RSP home buyers plan. The FHSA helps First-time home buyers save up to $40,000 by allowing an annual contribution of up to $8,000. So starting April 1st this year, you can put $8,000 into this account. Similar to an RSP, you get to deduct all the contribution 
that you put into your FHSA from your taxable income. So this will really help out in a few ways, being tax planning, reducing your taxable income, as well as growing tax-free in the account to be used for your home purchase. There are a few benefits to the account compared to the home buyer's plan on being, you do not have to pay the funds back. The RSP home buyer's plan, you have to pay that back over 16 years, but with the FHSA, you will not have to pay the funds back at all. Another is that this account does not use any of your RSP room. So you're essentially getting RSP contribution room without having to have the income to qualify for that room. Meaning if you're the first time home buyer, you can save in your FHSA and get those tax deductions. Then when you buy your home, you'll have accumulating all that unused RSP room that you would have been used before if you were to use the RSP home buyer plan. So it's great that you can build up your RSP contribution room while still saving for your first home and not having to take it all, having to pay back that contribution room. So another perk of this program that is compared to the home buyer's plan is a lot more realistic for today's housing environment. With the RSP home buyer's plan, you can only use $36,000, even if your RSP is worth a lot more. With this new program, you can use as much as you like. If you put in $40,000 into this FHSA and it grows to $100,000, let's say, you can use the whole $100,000. So for all these homes that require a much larger down payment in today's world, you can, this program is a lot more realistic for that versus a $36,000 down payment in today's housing market really wasn't doing the whole thing for you. Uh, another program here is the Toronto government is also trying to crack down on vacant homes, introducing the vacant home tax that will force, force holders of homes that are empty to pay a tax that's calculated as 1% of the current value of the home. So if your home's a million dollars in Toronto, and that's very common, and it's vacant, that's going to be $10,000 in tax. So this is a new one coming out in 2023 as well. The tax bracket and taxable income shift. All the federal income tax brackets have been indexed to inflation using the 6.3% rate in Ontario is 6.5%. Uh, for example, in the top federal bracket, you now need to be earning over $235,675. Last year, it was $221,708. And the, now the lowest bracket is 53,360. So that'll be the 15% tax bracket. Last year, that was 50,200. So it is nice to see that they are moving up with inflation as people's incomes have had to go up to keep up with all those costs that went up last year as well. In particular, the highest tax bracket, because that one was set when they put it at 220. They never indexed that one with inflation the whole time. Finally, last year, it creeped up to 221. And now you're saying it's 235, Mitch? 235, 675, so almost 236,000. So yeah, not it was bad enough you're in a 53.53% tax bracket or your estate is, but then on top of that, they never moved the, the needle at all. So it was an extra tax grab. So yes, at least they're being a little bit more fair. Yeah, yeah, it's finally nice to see them changing that. Uh, another thing is the new TFSA annual limit is now 6,500 up from $6,000. So this year you can put 6,500 in your TFSA to top up your contributions. So now the total TFSA contribution limit is $88,000 for someone born 1991 or, or prior. Uh, talk about a useful tool there for a financial plan. This used to be $5,000 and now you can put $88,000 if you've never had a TFSA. In a couple more years, it's going to be $100,000 you can put in your TFSA. That's fantastic. That's, that's incredible. A tax-free growth and the more growth you get on that, you're 
your uh, your limit grows as well. So that's going to be, it's just, it's already a useful tool, but that's just going to be even more useful going forward. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another break here. We are coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Don, you want to talk about TFSAs, but uh, also a word of caution here. You know what? There's nothing better than a TFSA. They literally, they're better than sliced bread in the financial planning world. As Mitch was just alluding to, how, how, is it, how is anything better when you put money in? I know you don't save any tax going in, but you never pay tax on this vehicle. It grows tax-free forever. Um, if you leave it to your spouse, the whole amount will go to your spouse tax-free and add to his or her room on top of their TFSA. So it's not, a, it's not just the individual. Now, if it goes to your kids, you can only top up to whatever the kids can put in. And so it's a great estate vehicle. And again, it goes to the kids without even probate tax because you can put a beneficiary right there. So again, you can't, I am a huge advocate of TFSAs. And now with the limit, as Mitch mentioned, at 88,000, you know, it is becoming a real investment now. You know, you know starting at $5,000 years ago, uh, you know, big deal. But 88,000, okay, that's not chump change. That's a lot of money. So now we gotta, now we got to manage it right. But there's a lot of misinformation about TFSAs. And I say the first one is is trying to keep track of your TFSA room, your tax-free savings account room, because it is tricky. Uh, if you have it with one institution, which we recommend, and again, we're biased, we want it all with us, but it, it makes it so much easier because if you have it somewhere else and you have some over here, now it's trying to keep up. What is your tax-free savings account room? And don't necessarily believe your notice of assessment because they are often behind in that room. And I've, I, we've had many clients say, well, I can do this. And they do it, and they didn't take into account that they, they had done something else at a bank or somewhere else and didn't realize. And they just took for granted that the, the notice of assessment was 100% correct. So they are often delayed by a year. And so the one area that I would suggest people say, well, if I go and put it in some higher risk investment, Say, you know, at one time it was marijuana stocks, another was crypto stocks, another thing is oil and gas stocks, whatever you want to say. And it you put in your ten thousand dollars and it grows to a million dollars. It is it again, it is all tax free. So people say, Well, why wouldn't I do that? Well, the real reason why you wouldn't do it is because most of the time that doesn't happen. Most people that go into riskier type investments do not make money. I would say that would be the small minority. Uh, most people lose money in these investments. So if you, you know, I had one uh, situation the other day that somebody put in $10,000 into a TFSA in a brokerage account and bought three or four higher risk stocks. He sold them all out last year and he only got $2,000. Well, by closing out the account, a lot of people think, well, I got $88,000 a room. 
So at least I got that. And they you, they want to put back 88,000. Well, in this case here, when you put in 10 and you now you, you lost 8,000, you have now lost $8,000 of your room forever. So that person's maximum is now 80,000. It's no longer 88,000. Now, this, the exact opposite is true. If you put in 10,000 and it grew to 20,000 and you cashed out, you can then replace it the following year. You cannot do it the year you took the money out, okay? Um, if you do, there's a 1% per month penalty. So you do not want to do this. However, this, in this case, this person take out $20,000. That is now, that extra 10,000 is now added to their room. So their actual room now is now 98,000 because they've made 10,000. So it's very, very crucial that you do this properly. Um, why is it crucial? Because there's big penalties. So if you, in the case of this one particular client that said, okay, well, I'm gonna put in my 88,000. It was just because we asked a lot of questions. Um, he's well read, he understands what's going on, but he missed the, how this part worked and didn't realize that you actually lost room, TFSA room. So in this case here, if he put in the 88,000 with us, without us questioning it. You sure you got 88,000? Well, yeah, we did this. This is, well, did you make money or lose money? So you're asking a lot of questions. This isn't happening at your bank teller, okay? They would simply say, okay, put in your 88,000. And I know this is a fact because we have a lot of clients that had done this with the bank in the past. And so they would have this $8,000 over contribution. That's a very small amount. Well, what does this boil down to? It boils down to an $80 per month penalty. Well, 80 bucks, who wants, it's like, how would you like to have a parking ticket every month for $80, okay? That's basically what it feels like. So you have to owe this money to the government, but that's fine, except for, no, it's not fine. Who wants to pay $80? But it's $80 per month. That's $960 a year. They do not catch this right away. So you do not want to over contribute. By the time they catch it, it's at least a year. It's quite often it's two years later that you've over contributed. And you're thinking you're, everything's fine because you put in your 88,000. Two years later, you're up to almost $2,000 of penalties on simply an $8,000 over contribution. So it's kind of be aware of your, your TFSA room. Do not go over. I'd rather see people go a little less to make sure than going over because it is a very steep penalty. Again, it's all about managing the, every piece of your financial well-being. TFSAs is part of it. Tax planning, investments, you name it. That's what a financial planner is all about. TFSA is just one part of the overall picture. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox, Mitch Fox here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, gentlemen, another great show. Thanks so much for the time. Have a great week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.